Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. Seems like for most of us, when we studied the revolution, you know, Yorktown's the kind of the big grand finale, and everybody forgets there's still 18 months of the war left. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor and author Mike Sassir discussing the French occupation of Williamsburg, and he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is brought to you by Rhode Island Publication Society, publishers of the new book, Revolutionary War Defenses of Rhode Island by John K. Robertson. Available now wherever books are sold. Visit their site, ripublications.org, today. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today our guest is author and Journal of the American Revolution contributor Mike Sassir, and he'll be discussing the French occupation that followed the British occupation of the city of Williamsburg in Virginia. You know, Mike Sassir has really played an important role in our scholarship of the American Revolution uh, and in our thorough understanding of the war in the South here at the Journal of the American Revolution because he is an expert in the war in Virginia. We often think of the American Revolution uh, in terms of northeastern battlefields in Boston, New York, Brooklyn, and so on. But the war in Virginia, the war in the South, uh, is a very different and challenging and unique phase of the conflict that's absolutely essential. We're really lucky to have Mike Sassir on hand to help us make sense of it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Mike Sassir. Mike Sassir, welcome back. Thank you, Brad Brady. I appreciate it. Mike, you're a repeat guest. Remind us about your background. I am a retired teacher, uh, so I taught here in Virginia for 30 years and recently retired, and I now live in my happy place, which is Williamsburg, Virginia, and I, I volunteer there, and I, um, I do a little bit of evening work as a soldier, actually. That's a lot of fun, still seeing uh, a lot of school groups and such, and when I'm not volunteering over there when I'm not reenacting up and down the East Coast at Revolutionary War reenactments, I'm doing research and writing, and I've, I've written now 20 books on essentially the Revolution or Revolutionary War. I'm, I think I'm more of a military historian than a, than, um, kind of a general historian. So the Revolutionary War, mostly about Virginia, Virginia's role in it, but a number of the books have been biographies, again, about Virginians. And I am starting to branch out a little bit, but um, it's been a lot of fun. And, I've, of course, I also write um, articles for the dr- Journal of the American Repo- Revolution. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's late night. What first drew your interest into this topic? Ah, the article on uh, the French in Williamsburg. Actually, um, that, the idea behind that was what I learned when I was wrapping up my book on Williamsburg. I have lived here now for over five years, and... Um, and somewhere along the line in the last year or so, I said, you know, I'm going to sit down. And I'm going to figure out not just the general story of what happened here in Williamsburg during during the Revolutionary War, but I want to know 
the, you know, the details about some of the, some of the people and, and the buildings that still stand or have been recreated and, and all that. So I, I dug really deep. I used a lot of the uh, foundation's own research. That, 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 you know, of course, they're excellent at that, and they, they offer a lot of that on their website and their library. The Rockefeller Library is an amazing resource. So um, it was just a joy to do all this research, and when I got to Yorktown, which is where it seems most historians kind of end the story, there was still a little bit more story to tell, and that was, hey, the French, they stayed in Williamsburg. And um, so I wanted to know more about that, and I, you know, I, I dug, dug it. I found some great accounts of their stay, of their um, their time here, and essentially the winter of eighty one, eighty two, into the spring, and then they departed um, early summer of eighty two and went back to the to New York. Um, not all the French stayed, by the way. It was just uh, the ones that came down from from New York stayed, but even George Washington's army left. You know, it went either up north or down, or a portion of it went down to the Carolinas. So that's that's. That's why this article came about. I said, hey, you know, this is this is kind of neat, and it, I, I kind of associate the French in Williamsburg in the winter time. So when I submitted it, I was hoping it would appear in, in the winter, and it, and it just appeared this past week. So good timing, Mike. For those that don't know, uh, what was the state of the war in 1781? Oh, 1781 in Virginia. I tell you, there's essentially really two uh, of the eight years of the Revolutionary War, two years, the first year and the, and the last year, well, I shouldn't say the last, the sixth year of the war are, are pivotal years here in Virginia. So in 1781, it starts off with a bang with the arrival of uh, the American trader Benedict Arnold uh, in command of a small expeditionary force from New York under uh, from General Henry Clinton, the British commander. So they come here to raid... Uh, and essentially establish a base of operations in Portsmouth. Um, off the, basically, that's going to be like a, a choke point, theoretically, um, because Portsmouth is is uh, on the Elizabeth River, and you got whole Hampton Roads out there. So, so I think the British, I think General Clinton is thinking about moving some um, some more troops down there and trying to kind of at least stop Virginia from from aiding the American Southern Army in the Carolinas under General Greene. So Arnold sails up the uh, up the James River as soon as he gets here in, in early January. He sails up, um, and he thinks about stopping, and he threatens Williamsburg, um, but he doesn't. He doesn't land troops. He goes further up, all the way to Richmond. Now Richmond's the new capital of Virginia. Um, it, basically, two years earlier, the the um, Virginia's leaders had decided to move it. It took a while. It took them a year to get it done. So it really hadn't moved till 1779. But it's been gone. Uh, the capital's been gone, and that was an economic blow to uh, to the residents there. Williamsburg had about 2,000 people, permanent residents there, and that population declined because a lot of the, the um, businesses that served the politicians and the um, all those that came to do government business, well, they've all moved up to... Richmond. So some of those um, folks that provided taverns and such, they moved too. So Williamsburg is kind of teetering economically in terms of that. Um, and then after that was the that was just in the winter time. And then Arnold, after he burns Richmond, he goes back down to Portsmouth and he sits down there for a bit, kind of establishing a base. And there's a little bit of a standoff. And just as it looks like we might have a chance to capture him with French help and General Lafayette sent down by General Washington, 
um, in March of 81, British reinforcements show up under General Phillips. And when that happens, um, it kind of changes the, the equation, and all of a sudden the British have the upper hand again, and then General Phillips sails up the James River. And this time he actually stops in Williamsburg for a couple of, for a couple of days. They, they land uh, off the James River. Williamsburg and the James River, you know, you gotta, those of you that don't know, Williamsburg sits on a peninsula, and on one side to the west is um, the James River, and then to the east is the, um, or maybe the northeast and southwest, um, is the uh, York River. So the James River is only four miles away from Williamsburg itself. So when the British, uh, British fleet under um, General Phillips shows up, they land and they, they march into Williamsburg, and there's not much resistance. Uh, the, all, all that's here in, in Virginia is, is militia, and they don't offer any resistance to speak of. Luckily, Phillips didn't destroy the town or, or even really um, um, allow much kind of looting or pillaging, and he didn't stay long, and he moved up, moved on after about 36 hours. There was an attack on York where they burned barracks and, and such. And they may have burned a barracks here in Williamsburg, too. But then uh, they go all the way up to Petersburg, and then there's a battle fought up there in Petersburg. And, and, all. and eventually what happens is Cornwallis shows up with reinforcements. More, and more British reinforcements show up from New York. And now we're into May, from April to May, and General Phillips gets ill and dies. Now General Charles Cornwallis is in charge. And um, he eventually marches back to Williamsburg in June and occupies the town for 10 days. And I was really interested in, 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 in learning more about that. And it was tough, tough to find because the newspapers have all moved out of Williamsburg. So there's, you know, I mean, you got to look for accounts from residents and there aren't that many of those. But I did find some that described what happened. And, and I know, we know that, for instance, um, at, in, at, in this occupation, there were a number of enslaved people who took the opportunity to flee their situations and and and, and seek freedom with the British Army. Um, uh, we know there's a lot of complaining about the British bringing pestilence. There's a great quote from um, St. George Tucker who talks about pestilence followed in the wake of the British Army and flies, apparently. I don't know what that's about, but <laughs> hordes and hordes of flies marching around. So um, it was a tough time. They didn't they didn't destroy wanting to destroy Williamsburg, but they, um, you know, they occupied it for ten days, and it was theirs until they until they got orders to move on to Portsmouth. So that's what's going on until you get up to uh, Yorktown. But I'm going to pause here because I've been talking quite a bit, and uh, I'll take your next question. Mike, explain to us the French arrival in in, in Virginia. Yes, when the French arrive, and they arrive almost kind of by surprise. I mean, General Lafayette is, is obviously a, a, a French Frenchman, and he's a darling of the American army in the sense that he's been fighting for us for several years now, uh, the young gentleman. And uh, everybody admires him and all, but um, he's actually in command of American troops. And so, um, and he's... He, he doesn't have the forces to confront Cornwallis in the summer of 81, so he's kind of keeping his distance. And then all of a sudden, everything changes. And it's because um, the French fleet in the West Indies has decided that they're going to leave the West Indies, which is the Caribbean, and sail up to the Chesapeake. And they're willing to make themselves useful for a, for a couple of months. General Washington is sitting up in New York with um, his army, the Continental Army, Army and with the French Army, 
Um, and he's frustrated because he can't convince the French to coordinate an attack on New York. And then you get a kind of a light bulb moment when he says, hey, maybe we'll just redirect our efforts down in Virginia. Um, and that's what he does. And, of course, he, he directs so a portion of his army and a lot of most of Rochambeau's army to head on south uh, toward Yorktown. And this is in August. And the French troops, the French fleet actually arrives two weeks before General Washington arrives in, in Williamsburg. The French fleet arrives um, in early September, and they unload um, 3,000 troops, I believe it was, um, at Jamestown. And they enter Williamsburg at about the same time that General Lafayette enters Williamsburg with his American forces, which are made up of Pennsylvania Continentals, New England Light Infantry, almost, I mean, nearly 1,000 of them, and then Virginia Militia. So all of a sudden, just overnight, you 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 go from this force that doesn't dare to to, to go um, to stand up to Cornwallis to an army of six thousand men, half of them French, you know, well provided, and um, Cornwallis, by the way, by this point in September, has been in Yorktown for a month because he's been ordered to to uh, fortify that position as a naval base for the winter for the British Army, and so wow, talk about a game changer, just like that. In fact. The day after the British land um, at Jamestown, I say the British, I'm sorry, the French, the day after the French land at Jamestown um, under General St. Simon, these were troops that were um, sent up from um, um, the Dominican Republic uh, with, the, with the fleet under uh, de Gaulle. That doesn't sound right. I said de Gaulle. It can't be de Gaulle. De Grasse. I'm thinking of another French president. Well, anyway... Um, uh, the day after they land at Jamestown, there's that big naval battle um, off of Virginia shore, the Battle of the Capes, in which the French fleet turns the um, British fleet away. And that's, that's, again, another pivotal moment in this siege of Yorktown that we're heading for. Um, so uh, General Rochambeau shows up in mid-September with General Washington, and I believe the French cavalry are with them, and and a lot of baggage wagons, empty baggage wagons. And then the, the rest of the French army, the Rochambeau's army, starts showing up at the end of September, like September 22nd. I think they start. They actually uh, boarded transports up in Annapolis. And now that the French Navy has control of the Chesapeake Bay, the French transports and the American transports are, are, can, can safely sail down the bay and save all that marching. And they arrive and start unloading at, uh, at Jamestown and Burwell's, uh, Burwell's Ferry near Williamsburg. Um, in, in the end of September, just a week before they march on to Yorktown. What was the attitude of the locals upon the arrival of the French? Well, there'd been a big gap, um, you know, between the two. The, the British left Williamsburg in July, um, but they still lingered about. So there was always that concern. I mean, if you lived in Williamsburg in 1781, the whole year until Yorktown, you were worried about the French showing, I mean, the British showing up. You were very worried that at any moment they could, and they did, of course, twice. Um, so then when the French showed up and Lafayette also arrived um, and the numbers just swelled, there was great relief in Williamsburg. And there's a, there's a neat quote um, um, from a French officer where he talks about how hospitable everybody in Williamsburg is about their, and, and how excited they are um, about the arrival of the French. So there's, um, there's just a lot of, like, a relief, I suppose, would be the big word there. And this is also kind of important for uh, the whole economy of Williamsburg. Williamsburg was, was really affected when the, when the capital moved. Its economy was, uh, took a real 
sharp blow. And now you have thousands of these soldiers. And now granted, the American soldiers underpaid and, and uh, low on supplies and all that. But the French are, are, able, are much more able to, to pay for their items and, and produce that they buy and, and things like that. So, um, so this is a boon economically to have friendly troops uh, in, your, in your town. And so, the, but they didn't stay that long. They they didn't stay in Waynesburg at, uh, before the siege of York. I mean, the first ones arrived at the end of September. By September 28th, the army is moving out. The Washington and Rochambeau's armies are moving toward Yorktown on September 28th. Um, but there is about 800 men. I didn't know this. I did the research. Washington leaves a force of 800 behind in Williamsburg, and he doesn't specify who they were. I, I assume they were probably militia. Um, and some Continentals, uh, but they're there to protect Williamsburg or sort of protect against a kind of a rear guard threat because the British could easily have sailed up the York River. They couldn't get out of the York River, but they, they could go further up, and they could have theoretically landed um, in what's called Queen's Creek, which feeds into Williamsburg, and then attacked Williamsburg. It would have been a brilliant move. Attacked Williamsburg um, from behind and really kind of muddled the whole logistics that Washington was juggling to, to conduct the siege. And, of course, there were two hospitals. Um, the, the College of William and Mary, one of the buildings there, I think the president's residence of William and Mary, was used as a French hospital. And then... Um, uh, the former governor's palace that's been rebuilt in Williamsburg, that became an American hospital during the siege. And then even after the siege, there were still Americans um, recovering in there. So all in all, there was quite a bit of relief that the French arrived. Absolutely. And I would even say joy. Mike, you mentioned that studying the British was very difficult because of the lack of sources. Um, what do we know about the French and what they did in the city? Well, there are some some good sources, um, diaries, really, of, of French sources. And again, the uh, research that the foundation, the um, Colonial Williamsburg Foundation, does, they, they write up these reports. They're accessible online. Um, so we, we have some good accounts. But again, you've always got to remember, um, you know, I, we all just assume a primary account is, is an outstanding account. We all get excited when we find one. But you know, you got to always put it in context and realize um, that that's, that primary source could just as well be as biased as any other source that you find. So, um, I, unfortunately, like I said, the newspaper, I can't find much in terms of newspaper accounts um, because the newspapers have all either closed down or, or left Williamsburg. So I, I've, I've relied on um, mostly letters and diary accounts, really. So there are several that are published uh, two volumes set about Rochambeau's march, and there are there are two or three um, diaries that are included in it, along with some amazing maps. Where did the French soldiers go when they left? Ah, when they um, after the that's funny too because even in my book I, I don't really focus on Yorktown the way I have in the past, uh, and some of the others I just like yeah Yorktown happened and we won and then uh, and then in, in um, late November. It was time to leave, and so Washington takes essentially all the troops that were with him that were from states above Pennsylvania. They return north uh, uh, to New York. The Pennsylvanians and um, I think Maryland troops are sent down to the Carolinas to reinforce General Greene. The French that had come by by um, uh, uh, with uh, De Grasse from the West Indies, are, they go back there because they got they're really worried about their their uh, Caribbean possessions. You know, um, hurricane season is 
is, is winding down, and they want to get back there and protect in case the British had any thoughts of attacking what they own down there. So what's left is um, General Rochambeau's force of about, uh, I think there's um, around 4,000 troops. And then he disperses them. He, 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 he leaves one regiment in Yorktown, one reg, uh, I, I don't want to say it's a regiment. It might have been a detachment, but it could have been a regiment in Hampton. I know there was an artillery detachment posted up at the head of uh, the York River where the two rivers formed to make the York River. And that, that's today known as West Point, not New York, but West Point, Virginia. And then two regiments are, are stationed or garrisoned in Williamsburg. And they, and they, and they stay there um, all winter uh, into the spring and into the beginning of summer. Mike, how do you think this article helps us understand the Revolutionary Era better? Well, I would say that this article, for me, um, some of the things that happened in Williamsburg uh, when the French were there, like you know the destruction of the of the governor's palace uh, by fire accident, uh, the burning of a portion of a William and Mary again by fire accident again, um, and there's a lot. It seems like. The, the, those th- those events happened after Yorktown, and it seems like for most of us, when we studied the revolution, you know, Yorktown's the kind of the big grand finale, and everybody forgets there's still 18 months of the war left. And so, all I'm trying to do here in this article was just just to kind of share what I learned about uh, what happened with the French. They stayed here for months, you know, half a year. Now, there's not. I wouldn't say there's a lot of like pivotal moments going on in terms of uh, changing the outcome of the revolution or anything, but it's still kind of neat to know that for you know uh, General Wythe's house, I mean um, Mr. Wythe's house in Williamsburg was occupied by uh, General Rochambeau um, for all those months uh, in Williamsburg. So that they that they were posted here in Williamsburg. Um, so that's that's kind of one of the things I wanted to do is just let folks know what happened after Yorktown. Um, also, there's that local history angle, too. I mean, I, I walk my dog in Williamsburg every day, and, you know, going around and, and seeing the with houses and actual buildings still standing from back then, um, the palace has been rebuilt and all, but, you know, it's kind of neat to walk in their footsteps, and I wouldn't have known, and I'll hope maybe others will find that neat, too, if they read the article, if they read the book that's coming out on Williamsburg. Um, in the revolution, they'll uh, they'll they'll just kind of have a greater appreciation for ha- number one the, the 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 site of Williamsburg itself. It's such an amazing site to visit. So that's that's probably the main impetus behind me writing about them. Mike Sasir, thanks again. Thanks, thanks, Brady. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.